Welcome back. Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. I am Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. I woke up early Saturday morning. I guess I wake up early every morning. And I saw the awful news that singer, songwriter, and author Jimmy Buffett had passed away at the too young age of 76. I considered it was Labor Day weekend and tweeted out a slight tribute to one of his few songs that ever received radio play. He wrote thousands of songs and toured to sold-out arenas every year, but Audley was such an uncategorizable outlier, sui generis in music, that few radio stations knew what to do with him. So only a handful of songs received radio play. One of his most famous was Come Monday, and the opening lyrics were heading up to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. I tweeted out a poster of Jimmy on the Sea, where he always seemed most comfortable, and I wrote heading north for the Labor Day weekend show. We'll do a lot more about him in our second hour with special guest Matt Hoggett, but for those of us whose lives he wrote the anthem for, and I don't mean the campy songs like Cheeseburger, but really a whole catalog of meaningful songs with literary references, songs about life and love. For those of us whose lives he did write that anthem for, something big was lost with his passing. When a great influence on your life passes, especially in music, the way certain songs define moments or parts of your life, you feel a little bit like a part of you, a part of your past or development, passes on and dies as well. Everyone has their favorite songs from their youth, and when you hear them, they bring you back there for a few moments, don't they? I suppose that was the magic of his concerts, average age of attendance, about 55, people reliving for a few moments that ever-elusive quest of Ponce de Leon's. If Betsy is out in the audience, a frequent caller about whom Jimmy wrote one of our favorite songs here, I hope we hear from her today as well. Anyway, safe passage, son of a son of a sailor, and thank you for teaching us. Thank you for helping aid our safe passages through the years. Which brings me to a related thought. I've been turning over in my head lately, how we entertain ourselves and how it matters. About 50 years ago, Walter Burns put it that, quote, we turn to the arts and literature, films and the theater, as well as to the graphic arts for the pleasure to be derived from them. And pleasure has the capacity to form our tastes and thereby to affect our lives. It helps determine the kind of men we become and helps shape the lives of those with whom and among whom we live, close quote. Around the same time, Irving Kristol wrote, quote, No society can be utterly indifferent to the way its citizens publicly entertain themselves. Bear baiting and cockfighting are prohibited only in part out of compassion for the suffering animals. The main reason they were abolished was because it was felt that they debased and brutalized the citizenry who flocked to witness, to witness such spectacles. I thought of that line when I recalled the greatest television spectacle all the rage during 2020 was a series called Tiger King. Here's one description of it, quote, From illicit drug use to murder for hire allegations, Netflix's newest hit docuseries, Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness, takes viewers on a roller coaster ride through the twisted world of the big cat industry. Despite the wildly entertaining storyline, Tiger King unfortunately fails to offer anything more than a brief glimpse into the intense suffering endured by the big cat industry's main victims, the animals. Close quote. This is how we enter entertain ourselves now. 
In the current issue of Commentary, Joseph Epstein writes, quote, When I ask what happened to culture, I'm asking how it has come about that the great subjects of culture, philosophy, art, music, literature, film, today no longer seem, so to say, up for discussion, at least not in their contemporary aspects. Ask a cultivated person who his or her favorite living painters are, or classical composers, or novelists and poets, and you are not likely to get a ready answer, or any answer at all. I have no satisfactory answers to these questions myself. I know no contemporary painters whose work I love in the way I love the paintings of Raphael or Vermeer, Gustave Kellebault. I know no modern composers I care to hear after the now long dead Aaron Copland, Maurice Ravel, and Igor Stravinsky. The last modern poet I admire is Philip Larkin. He died in 1985. I eagerly await the next book of no living novelist, and I haven't been to a play in the past decade. As I suspect the case with many other people who strive to live the cultivated life, in some recent years I have been living almost entirely on the culture of the past. Close quote. Some friends asked me the other day who the current or next William Buckley's and Irving Crystal's and Norman Podhoritz's are or will be, and my answer is that search is as elusive as Ponce de Leon's, because there is nobody who has or will have the teachers they had, teachers familiar with and conversant in the works, everyone from Raphael to Rousseau or Aristotle to Aaron Copland. We did a very good job at sweeping all that away over the last 40 years or so by dispensing with the idea of Western civilization and its canon because of the color and gender of those who gave us all that. If white or male, not interesting. Not because it wasn't interesting, but because too many with political axes found themselves simply not interested. As a result, as Epstein put it, quote, culture can take grand swings from richness to near barren paucity. We seem just now to be living in the latter, an age of cultural barrenness, a sad slump, with no known great figures at work in any of the arts and with little in the way of high expectations of the immediate future, close quote. And I thought of all this as I was reading about the Burning Man Festival. Quote, it may well rank as one of the significant political and sociological events of the age. The revolution it preaches, implicitly or explicitly, is essentially moral. It is the proclamation of a new set of values with a surprising ease and a cool sense of authority. The children of plenty have voiced an intention to live by different ethical standards than their parents accepted. The pleasure principle has been elevated over the Puritan ethic of work. To do one's own thing is a greater duty than to be a useful citizen, close quote. As, state, as Steve Hayward posted that, he then said, that's actually from a news story about Woodstock. But it could be Burning Man. Burning Man is described by Wikipedia as, quote, a week-long, large-scale desert campout focused on community, art, self-expression, and self-reliance. From the Daily Mail this morning, quote, it came as the grand finale, the burning of the man, finally got underway a day late on Monday night with the wooden statue lit for the dwindling crowd who'd stayed. Meanwhile, officials named the man who died during the festival on Saturday as a 32-year-old as they admitted the weather hampered their response. Quote, as usually happens in what burners refer to as the default world, People allow their emotions to override their reasonableness, and they are lashing out at each other as they leave the playa and attempt to make it to their next destination, thus said Pershing County Sheriff Allen, who told that to the San Francisco Chronicle. 
Burning Man has 10 principles, radical inclusion, gifting, decommodification, radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, participation, leaving no trace, and immediacy. I think what we need, folks, is a great relearning. We are in a desperate need of a great relearning. That's the title of a Tom Wolfe essay that began this way, quote, in 1968 in San Francisco, I came across a curious footnote to the psychedelic movement. At the Hyde-Asbury Free Clinic, there were doctors who were treating diseases no living doctor had ever encountered before, diseases that had disappeared so long ago they had never even picked up Latin names, diseases such as the mange, the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scroff, the rot. And how was it that they had now returned? It had to do with the fact that thousands of young men and women had migrated to San Francisco to live communally in what history will record as one of the most extraordinary religious experiments of all time. The hippies, as they became known, sought nothing less than to sweep aside all codes and restraints of the past and start out from zero. Among the codes and restraints that people in the commune swept aside quite purposely were those that said you shouldn't use other people's toothbrushes or sleep on other people's mattresses without changing the sheets, or as was more likely, without using any sheets at all, or that you and five other people shouldn't drink from the same bottle of Shasta or take tokes from the same cigarette. And now, in 1968, they were relearning the laws of hygiene by getting the mange, the grunge, the itch, the twitch, the thrush, the scroff, and the rot. There are a lot of meanings to the rot, and it didn't start with our two- and four-year political contests. I'll close here. A friend reminded me of something William Buckley wrote in Up From Liberalism. Quote, America, most historians teach us, has sought to avoid the extremes, to be flexible without resembling silly putty, to be principled without being arch. I think our country is not clearly enough avoiding the former extreme. I think she's in danger of losing her identity not on account of the orthodoxy that we are being told in some quarters threatens to suffocate us, but for the failure to nourish any orthodoxy at all. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. That was the chant Jesse Jackson led 35 years ago, and it went. That was the arch. It led to silly putt. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. I didn't do my regular introductions. Uh, Mr. David Dahl, my producer, is uh, to my uh, west. Mr. Bill is to my north. Everyone else, 602-5080-960, whether you are northeast, south, or west. And if you go to Twitter and uh, look up uh, Mr. Dahl's uh, account, which is underscore David underscore Dahl, you will see he is dressed up in... Full Jimmy Buffett regalia, uh, which is wonderful. From the uh, cover of um, the album, a white sport coat and a pink crustacean. Should I take this call here, David? I can just grab it. I'll just grab it. Uh, Richard is in Phoenix. Hello, Richard. How are you, sir? (laughs) I'm doing good, David. How did you know it was me? Well, it's me, Seth. David David was able to tell me. How are you? Oh, oh, Seth, hi. Yes. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fine. Say, I, I called the Are you, you two-timing me? No, no. What do you mean? All right. I just wanted to make sure you're not two-timing me on other people's oh, shows. With That's David? All. No, with other shows. Oh, oh, you heard me on Gorka today? I hear everything. 
I'm sorry, brother. It's a perfectly reasonable thing. Perfectly fine. Sorry about that. Not at all. Hey, since uh, since I got you on the line, can you tell me real quickly uh, why the tune, the happy organ, is awful? Because it's awful. Okay. Recips loquitur, the thing speaks for itself. Okay, you just you, it's just not your bag. Huh? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, it seems to me an evening with Myron Florin on the accordion from the Lawrence Welk show would be an improvement. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have to well, suffer uh, through uh, Dennis I, Prager's happiness hour once a week. I'm yeah. not going to inflict further pain on the rest of the listening audience throughout the Valley of the Sun. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> you want to? Yeah, you. It's, for everyone who wants it, Richard emailed me and said, "Hey, I heard the Happy Organ over on Dennis Prager's show. I think you'd like it for your bump." Do you? Are you new here? <laughs> well, the thing of it is. <clears throat> I kind of have a history with that. Oh, okay. And, and so special when pleading. I was little, okay. okay, yeah. When I was little, my parents had two forty-five RPM records. Mm-hmm. One of them was the Happy Organ, mm-hmm. and the other one was Satisfied Mind by Porter Wagner. Mm-hmm. And I played those things. I probably wore them out. I don't know, but I played them over and over and over and over again. So. I kind of have a history, and when I heard that on Prager's show, I said, "Why, well, hey, I know what that is." So, well, I don't mean to derogate completely, but um, what can I tell you? It, no. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> That's why you well, get those shows. You can call into. So now you should call in. Now that you've gotten Gorka and you've gotten me, go for the hat trick and call Dennis Prager. Yeah, I know. And compliment I him on Dennis. his music I, I, and I, tell him and tell him, you know, Liebson and Phoenix is having none of it and ca- yeah. cause a little civil war here. It'll be great. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell uh, uh tell our older brother on you. Yeah. And tell him yeah. exactly what I said. Tell him <laughs> Liebson said an hour long accordion special with Myron Florin would be more exciting. <laughs> See if he knows who Myron Florin see if he knows who yeah, Myron no Welk kidding. is. He He's he's a New York boy. I don't know if he'll know who New York. If I don't know if he'll know who Myron Florin. Okay, Myron Florin. He was the accordionist on Lawrence Welk. Yeah. Okay. I just like uh, saying the name. Yeah, no kidding. That's kind of a it's kind of a cool name, Myron Florin. Yes. Okay. Yes. So anyway, uh, you know, I called you last week about the mask, and yes, and, you know, yes, I yes, don't yes, wear, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and. You know, the mask and the tinfoil hat. Yep. You know, and I don't wear a mask. Correct. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. But I just wanted to make sure There's that, a lot wrong uh, with it. <clears throat> I'll, you know, if it, if it gives people some form of of comfort uh, for whatever reason, fine. But yep. I don't want it to give people a false sense of security. And that's where I think we engage in a serious danger. I mean, yep. if you're someone who is at a high-risk population, if you are to obtain or acquire COVID, uh, whether it's um, some underlying condition, including obesity, some other heart condition, something else, and you think because these quote-unquote public health officials are telling you a mask works on an individual, and you think you are going to be safer as a result for engaging in activities that otherwise would be high risk in communities that otherwise might have spread, and you think the mask is going to be helpful, we're actually doing you a disfavor. 
We're yeah. doing you a disfavor. Right, and, right. And, that's, and we're putting you at greater risk. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I was yeah. kind of poking fun at it. But, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it is a serious matter, really, when it, it comes really down. It really is. And what we're doing now with kids, I think we're so far so good here from what I can tell in Arizona, but I am now seeing on East Coast states, of course, particularly, and I bet you'll see it next in California, uh, you are now seeing mask requirements for kids to go back to schools for a disease that just, you know, does not, it's, you know, it's it's to abuse children to make adults feel comfortable, which is abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah you bet. You bet. Okay. Well, listen, just uh, one last thought. I hope yes, you had sir. a happy Labor Day. Thank you. Well, it was <laughs> it was mixed because of the passing of Mr. Buffett. But Yeah, that, yeah, that's you. that's true. That's true. But uh, you, you know me, though, right? Uh, w- when I work, I work hard. When I play, I play hard. When I think, I go to sleep. Well, that's funny. That is. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I have a question for you. Now that you're, you know, you're this experienced uh, communicant with uh, other radio shows, right? Do you do you send them musical requests that you heard here? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a serious question. I mean, people will oh, say, oh, "Hey, Seth, did you hear so and so talking about such and such?" And I'm just trying if people ever write to those such and such as saying, "Did you ever hear a Reed Leibson writing on such and such?" Yeah. Now I'll do it with music. Yeah. The the answer is I I do not do that and. Let me tell you why, Seth, because I feel or I have a special bond with you, and it goes way back, way back before Prager, way back before uh, Gorka, and... Uh, you do. You, know, you actually I kinda, do. I, have a, I kind of feel like I can we do. talk to you about anything you, or you whatever. You absolutely so. can, and you've taught me a lot, um, well, and, and, I, quote, and, and you, I quote you often. Yep. You also have taught me a lot. I... Uh, you know, I love you as a brother, and I just appreciate all the good work you do and everything you've taught me and Back, yeah. all that good stuff. So that's where ton. that comes from. It means a ton. Uh, we have uh, a great audience, and the intimacy uh, that we engage with uh, our our path in seeking the truth together. You know, what could be better? Yeah. What 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 could be better? The real Aristotelian form of friendship: people who make you a better person. And yeah. you're one of them, as is uh, as are so many. Bless you, sir. And uh, sorry, um, no Dave, baby Cortez for you, but everything else, Rick. Almost everything else. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth oh, Liebson yeah. Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. Great website and a great place uh, to go to reach out to him and learn more about Grand. Grand Canyon Planning as well as GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Happy Tuesday, John. I hope you had a good three-day weekend. I did. I hope you did as well. Markets uh, markets were down until today, right? Closed. Yeah, markets yeah. were down today. Yeah. Yep, they yeah. were closed uh, for the long weekend. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a slow opening today. Oil prices rose, uh, a little bit more fear of inflation again. And uh, so uh, markets reacted a little bit negatively. But they had a really positive end to the month even though Good. you know overall the month of uh, august was a little bit lower Good. uh than where it started it had a nice recovery towards the end of the month so it wasn't as bad as it it looked from the uh get-go okay good 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 i'm worried about some of the other indicators looking around i just saw a feed on household credit card debt 
at uh, at uh, at tremendous highs. We've talked about that before. I was mm-hmm. taken by something uh, that um, Steve Moore pointed out: teen work, the teens, uh, the teen work uh, rate. Uh, Teenagers who are working in America is abysmally low. In the 1950s, almost half of teenagers were working. That work rate slid slightly in the 40 to 45 percent range in the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, but now uh, we're we're going farther and farther down. We're now moving into the 20 percent ranges. This yeah. is, uh, I think, something for concern. It certainly has a concern. Uh, in my world, when I think about you know the work ethic in america yeah and and part of this, I think too, is uh many of these uh, people in this category are also demanding to work from home right yes and uh you know what is interesting about this Seth is that it also talks a little bit further that you know someone who started a career earlier the earlier someone went to work uh the yep. more successful yep basically um a lifelong yep you know uh, success would be. Um, and, and of course, be in a better financial position so at some point in their life for retirement as well, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly. And and part of that, I think, also, uh, this is something. If you're working from home at a computer, you know, terminal in your in your living room or kitchen, wherever you would work, um, you're not getting that interaction with people again. And and again, this is the challenge with the younger generation, right? They're on their computers, they're on their cell phones, they're they're sitting at a table having, uh, you know, lunch, maybe even at school, and rather than talking to the person next to them, they're texting the person yeah. next to them. Yeah. Uh, and this is how they communicate. And this is really creating a challenge, and I think it will create a big challenge uh, later in life for many of these people not being able to communicate uh, well and, and uh, really deal with issues, everyday issues that most Americans have to deal with or, or people in the world um, because they're not really – having that communication, face-to-face communication. So working from home sounds all great, but I think for someone's human growth, it's better uh, really to be actually working side-by-side with people in, a, in an environment that can help you uh, you know, grow as an individual but also can help uh, your peers and your, your coworkers. You know, you're so right about that, and it's such a big issue. It's almost hard to grasp. There's a professor at New York University getting a lot of attention these days, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, who tracks the advent of the smartphone to the increasing um, mental crisis of our youth and adolescence and sees the spike going up. And then again, another spike throughout the COVID years, uh, when there were the shutdowns, the lockdowns, and the school closings sure. because of sure. that isolation and that driving people to the screens, particularly young people. And now we seem to complain, particularly when we hire millennials or try to hire millennials, there are no communication skills. They, yeah, it's the a real the communication pro- it's a real skills just don't exist. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way people um, interact with other people can tell you a lot about who they are and, yeah. and you know, some of the challenges that they're, they're facing. Yeah. Um, if you sit down and talk with someone or if you're, you know, and they don't look, look at you, yeah. you know, they're looking away, they're looking down they're They don't have that uh, secure feeling of, uh, you know, being able to communicate with someone. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for them. And that's going to, you know, only get worse as, as, as they continue to go on their, in their careers. Yeah, and particularly in your industry where, you know, yeah. a certain level of confidence needs to be, right? Uh, yeah. 
yeah. communication. Or you know, mine. I grew yeah, up or mine, right? right. Uh, yeah, I grew up yeah. in a family, a family business, and I was working at a very, very young age and communicating with people, and that really helped me become the person I am today. And I, I encourage people out there to uh, help their children get out there and work. I think it's going to be one of the best things they could do for them. Thank you, John. You bet. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipkin, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Uh, per Richard's call earlier, yeah, uh, D.C. Area Elementary School in Montgomery County, Maryland, the Rosemary Hills Elementary School, just sent a letter to... Uh, to uh, to its uh, parents of uh, children, this uh, letter that they posted uh, that was cl- posted by someone else up on Twitter is for uh, third graders um, that uh, they're going back with masks for the children uh, starting in Maryland, uh, which would be part of that Richmond, north of Richmond area, wouldn't it? Uh, Silver Spring is kind of part of the Beltway. It is part of the Beltway, not kind of. It is, I, you know... It's such an oddity to me that we, um, a lot of us who came out early against this stuff, and by early, I mean we happy few who did, who were writing and really screaming um, in uh, in the as early as April of 2020, and then certainly by full full voice and full throttle in the summer of 2020, had the McDonald's, your Mies, your Dennis Prager's, your Bill Bennett's, your Hugh Hallman's. Um, there weren't a lot of others. There were some, not a lot, uh, not a lot. And um, a lot more got on board, even as we were criticized, those who were criticizing us got on board. And we've been spending the last kind of year or so scratching our heads about, is anyone going to say anything? Is anyone going to say anything about the foolishness we engaged in and we shamed each other over, and we were so certain about, I mean, even governors and supposedly learned people saying such things as we should triage hospital hospital uh, hospital beds for people who were vaccinated versus those who weren't because those who weren't were being idiots and putting other people's health at risk. Were we going to hear any apologies or mea culpas from the talking heads or even the president who said if you get vaccinated, you won't get COVID, you won't spread it, you won't get sick from it, you won't die from it. Uh, any, any, are we going to hear nothing about any of this? Are we going to hear nothing in the mainstream media about the mask studies and all, all the damage uh, wrought by the school closings, particularly on children's mental health? And the answer is we, we, we never did really hear anything from any of those people. Never did. Um, maybe one, one, one doctor at the Washington Post, Doctor Wen. She she apologized for getting it wrong. She used to be a CNN contributor and apologized for getting it wrong in the Washington Post. But other than that, and I looked closely, I didn't see much. It's odd that we go from all those errants, all those wrong statements, all those changing statements, and all those um, you know whiplashing statements that contradicted each other but were certain the day they were said of course to silence to no apologies no rethinking no acknowledgement of all the research that proved all those dunderheads wrong to going back to it all over again 
all over again. One can't help but think of the too too worn out notion of of Einstein's that this is the definition of insanity. It's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again wrongly and expecting a better or different result. Because what we are going to get if we go down this road again, and it looks like we're about to, and some already are, it's going to double down on all the social and psychological trauma that we are going to take decades to dig out from already. I haven't mentioned the economics, and I haven't mentioned so many other problems that came from these things. City Journal. If there's a better magazine that goes into serious social science research, domestic policy research, if there's a better magazine that does it than City Journal, I don't know what it is. comes out from the Manhattan Institute. Jeff Anderson writes, evidence continues to mount that mask mandates were perhaps the worst public health intervention in modern American history, while concluding that wearing masks, quote, probably makes little or no difference, close quote, in preventing the spread of viruses, as a recent Cochrane study also emphasized, quote, that more attention should be paid to describing to describing and quantifying the harms that may come from wearing masks, close quote. Well, a new study out of Germany does just that, and it suggests that the excess carbon dioxide breathed in by mask wearers wearers may have substantial ill effects on their health, and in the case of pregnant women, their unborn children's. I can get into all this complexity on this one angle of it, and will happily do so if more of you want it, but this is only one of many studies that have begun to show the negative, the baleful consequences and effects of mask wearing for those that really don't need to and for those that really kind of do think that it makes a substantial or even a minimal difference, a minimal difference in keeping you from obtaining or transmitting a virus. Now, the news today is that Joe Biden, because his wife Jill got COVID for the second or third time, depending on whether you count, her plavoxid uh, rebound, um, is now going to mask in the White House. And as Karen Jean-Pierre said, and I would wish you to watch this, Karen Jean-Pierre said he will mask unless he is in a substantially socially distanced, unless he is substantially and socially distanced from someone else indoors. So you go, that, that's today's announcement. You see Joe Biden, Biden wearing the mask, and he does a beautiful ceremony, or a ceremony that should be beautiful, uh, for a Presidential Medal of Honor. And he's standing right next to the guy, shaking hands, saluting, and right next to him, as you know, close as uh, you could be to someone, no mask. Already, you know, the person who wants to lead us down this path is violating his own edicts. It's how do we even take these people seriously anymore? I mean, listen, my preference is none, zero, null set with them. But if they're going to start the lecturing again, look at what else is happening. It's the lecturing with the noncompliance by the lecturers. There was perhaps no one who was worse at that than Joe Biden and two particular governors I can think of. No one worse than that. They lectured, they scolded, 
and they themselves refused to comply or didn't know how to. And we're getting that from this commander-in-chief already on day one of the new big story out of the White House with Jill Biden, Joe Biden, reinfection and masks. Oh, he'll do it unless he's um, unless he's um, substantially socially distanced from someone. That was today's big news. And there he is, full bore, right next to someone not doing it. Maybe that can be the corrected error. And he just not do it. I didn't ponder the question too long. I was hungry and went out for a bite, ran into a chum with a bottle of rum, and we wound up drinking all night. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by um, by Y-Refi. Great, uh, great outfit, great sponsor. Um, they, um, they've been getting a lot of calls from this audience and, uh, thank you. They want me to thank you and they want to thank you for supporting an investment that actually helps people. Yes. With Y refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. And for those of you that are concerned about stock market volatility or inflation or talk of the recession, it's not correlated at all to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. In this secure collateralized portfolio, you can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees. There's no reduction or penalty on principle if you ever need your money back. And you get your monthly statement, of course, with no surprises. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. That's 888-YREFI-24. I was speaking about Joe Biden, whether he's even sure of what his policy with masks in the White House is, since he was already violating it, at least as Karin Jean-Pierre articulated it earlier today. He was already violating it this afternoon. There is this new poll that's rather astounding. I don't think I've seen numbers anything quite like this before. New Wall Street Journal poll, 73 percent of Americans uh, said— that Joe Biden is too old to run for president. 73% of Americans, including 69% of Democrats. That's an incredible number. 69% of Democrats think Joe Biden is too old to run for president um, or run again for run for reelection for president. Uh, That is not a poll that, White House advisors or political advisors are going to be very happy taking to Joe Biden. You know he hates questions about this, and he hates being confronted on any of these things, including correcting him, any correcting he takes uh, with regard to the tall tales he tells. I, um, I, was, I was in a conversation with a group of uh, political, uh, political uh, thinkers this morning, political thinkers and writers this morning, and the real question is just what is it the Democrats are going to do? Can they run Joe Biden again? Can they skip over Kamala Harris now that they've built such a such a reputational advantage around her over the issues of race and gender? They're in a pickle. Be right back. <laughs> 